What's up, everybody? I'm Billy Ryan, and you are listening to the No One Is Watching podcast, where we explore leadership, culture, and the impact they have on high-performing teams. We can all admire the championships that are won on the field and the big profits that show up on the balance sheet. But this show is dedicated to the premise that those battles are won long before they start. Through conversations with elite performers and leaders in the world of business, sports, and life in general, we'll learn valuable lessons on how you can optimize yourself and your organization. On this episode, we're joined by David Stearns. David was most recently the president of baseball operations for the Milwaukee Brewers before resigning at the end of the 2022 season. During his tenure, Stearns presided over arguably the most successful stretch in Brewers history, which included four consecutive playoff appearances. We discuss his mid-career sabbatical, balancing objective data and subjective culture, and the power of vulnerability. He stepped away, not entirely from the game, but your 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 role as as GM and then ultimately president with the Brewers. And I'm curious what that experience has been for you since you've been, I won't say away from the game, but sort of certainly further away from the game. It's, it's definitely a different pace. And, and I'm sure you know, you can relate to that when you're, um, when you're working in baseball, regardless of what the job is, regardless of whether it's at the commissioner's office with a club. Um, candidly, I, th- I think some of our media members um, feel the same way. You're completely invested um, and it never stops. And when you're in one of these roles, you, you don't want it to stop. Uh, you enjoy that life. You enjoy that part of it. Um, I think we're all really, really competitive. We get into these positions because we're super competitive and um, that leads to uh, a tremendous time investment, a tremendous personal investment. Um, and, and so you're, you're constantly on. And, and what I've been fortunate enough to experience a little bit here now over the last couple of months um, since I stepped away from, from uh, the present role with the Brewers um, is just a slightly slower pace um, and being able to to spend more time um, with my kids, to be able to uh, spend less time on my phone, um, which is which is a big deal. And I, I, the phone, the phone is is a uh, is the smartphone, the iPhones. It's a, it's a wonderful wonderful invention. It's made us all so much more efficient. Um, it's changed these baseball jobs tremendously. I think if you talk to GMs or presidents who were doing these jobs in the the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, you know, they will say that the job is, is, is much, much different now than it was at that point, largely because of, of, um, the smartphone. So, um, look, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I've had a bunch of people tell me that, um, is sort of that mid career hiatus, um, is really valuable. And, uh, to this point, I, I have found it to be such. What was the first, did you have like a wow moment where you kind of, uh, can sort of see through the matrix a little bit now that you, you, you weren't in it every day with the bullets flying. Um, it, you know, I think the, the, I, I, uh, my wife and I went, um, to a, a friend's wedding, um, uh, in Brazil in mid December, um, which is something that, uh, in my previous <laughs> existence, you, you could never do. You're preparing for the yep. meetings. You're um, completely uh, in the off in the throes of the off season. Um, you know, grinding pretty hard at that point. Um, and uh, I was able to to go to the wedding, and we, we were down there for three days. Um, it was a quick trip, but um, I I had my laptop, um, and I didn't have to open my laptop once. 
um, which which was a, a pretty remarkable feeling and, and you know, not something that uh, I had experienced um, over uh, over the previous decade and a half of, of my life. So you run you run into some moments like that um, that are uh, that are eye opening. Um, you just you just feel a slightly different connection um, uh, to the environment you're in, to the people you're with. Um, and so that, that was, um, uh, that was certainly, uh, one of those moments early on, uh, after I stepped away that, uh, that I, I recognized I would not be experiencing, um, if I, if I were in my, my previous job. Now, I, I will say there, there are certainly moments where you look back, um, and, and you recognize you're not experiencing what you were in the midst of before, right? Whether it's. Um, pitchers and catchers reporting, um, or the winter meetings, or, or things like that, um, that have become second nature, uh, and you're not a part of that, and and you recognize that as well. Yeah, I I experienced something similar where um, you, you sort of lack the perspective of of sort of the rest of the world when you're in it, um, like a lot, like you know, like a lot of industries, I'm sure, yep. you just it sort of envelops you, and it's so demanding and. Uh, I think technology is a big part of that. It does a lot of things uh, to make our lives a lot easier, but it obviously puts demands on you that, you know, you all hear the stories about scouts that would call in from a payphone at the motel and check their voicemail and all this other stuff and have to mail in scouting reports. And uh, I don't think anybody wants to go back to that necessarily, but yeah, the trade-off for that is you're, you're 24 seven. And um, once you get, it's almost like, um, you know, it's probably a, it's probably a poor analogy, but almost like in combat where, there's just adrenaline going and you just don't have it. You don't have time to slow down. There's just always something that's next, right? Whether it's in season or out of season. And once you sort of miss one lap around the merry-go-round, you kind of realize like, Oh, okay. There's other stuff going on and, and it allows just, it offers a different perspective. And I'm sure that whatever you take on next professionally, that will benefit you tremendously just because, um, you know, not just in your personal life, but professionally, as far as, just having, you know, a little bit more perspective that you've been removed from it. You can kind of take a little bit more of a global view of it. No, no question. I had, when I was contemplating, um, this decision, um, I had someone suggest to me who, who had taken a, a mid career pause, um, that, that it could do wonders for sort of a reorientation, um, to, to who you are. And I, I think that is a great way of framing it. Um, and, and I, I have felt that, um, and I, I do think there, there's been a, a reorientation to, um, as you said, what's, what's outside of baseball and also probably how best to handle what's inside of baseball. Um, and you get a little bit of different, uh, a different perspective. Um, uh, some space helps a lot, some space for reflection, uh, some space to, to, to think about um, everything that's gone on, uh, over, over the period of a career or a period of time. Um, and I, I've really enjoyed that aspect of this. Yeah. You and I have both spent time at the commissioner's office. So we had a unique perspective, um, going to a club from that. Um, you know, so it certainly provides you a little bit more of a 30,000 foot view to a certain regard, but you didn't have maybe the, the in the weeds knowledge when you went over there. Um, and so. I think just more perspective, more diverse perspective, um, helps you in, you know, whatever you're doing, it's going to help you be a better parent. It's going to help you be a better uh, professional, whatever, whatever, um, sort of stage of life you're in. So, um, you know, I'm sure that'll, that'll suit you well. But 
there's a lot of people that, you know, want to work in sports or, um, think they want to work in sports. And, um, what do you think the biggest misconception is, um, or that maybe something that surprised you early in your career that you're like, well, this isn't, this isn't what I anticipated. Look, I, I think, um, you know, sports is the entertainment business. Um, and, and, and in a certain sense, it's showbiz and, um, what goes on behind the curtain in, uh, every entertainment business, um, and every active at, in every aspect of show business is different than what goes on in front of the curtain. Um, and so when, when you're first exposed to, um, behind the curtain or under the stage, it, um, it's a little bit different and, and you realize that there are just a ton of incredibly hardworking, smart, passionate individuals um, who are, are pulling really, really hard um, to, make, um, to make the show go on. Um, and, and I think that's true whether you're working at a production studio in Hollywood, whether you're working on a Broadway show, or whether you're working um, for a professional sports franchise in, um, in some capacity, these are um, enormous operations. Um, you know, multi-billion dollar operations at this point. Um, and they've got a lot of really talented, hardworking people who are trying to make it go. And that's true on, on the baseball side, um, it's true on the business side, uh, the ticketing side. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, I, th I think that's always a little bit of a surprise for people when they get in the game um, is, is, you know, the, the, the glamour um, or the, or, um, you know, the, the ritzy part of these businesses is what happens at seven o'clock. It's when, when the big league team is on the field. Um, in order to enjoy these jobs, and I think probably in order to be good at these jobs, you need to enjoy um, and gain fulfillment um, through what happens before and after 7 p.m. Um, and, and the fulfillment and the joy uh, really needs to come from, um, from the work itself. Um, from the interactions with people. Um, and, and I think that's what you learn pretty quickly when you get in the game is if you're, if you're um, completely tied to the outcome of the big league product um, on a nightly basis, especially in a game like baseball where we play every single day, 162 times a year, um, you know, it may not be the most fulfilling venture for you. Um, but if, if, you, if you gain enjoyment um, from the other aspects of the job, from working with good people, um, from innovating, um, from the grunt work, which we all do, even GMs and presidents are doing a lot of grunt work in these jobs, um, uh, then, then these can be really fulfilling um, careers. Yeah, you went through a rebuild process in your time in Houston. Um, I, I had something similar in Atlanta. I don't know how you feel about it. I, toward, particularly toward the tail end or the, the, maybe the, the middle part of that process, I really, I almost enjoyed the off the field rebuild as much as, as much as the, the on the field, the player acquisition piece of it, because there was, to your point about sort of the breadth of the operation and, and, and that's just on the baseball side that doesn't even touch on the business side of it, which is uh, equally, you know, probably even bigger. Um, I really just enjoyed sort of the off ball, uh, personnel development, staffing, putting the right people in the right place, or at least trying to, and, and, um, really building out that infrastructure, which. Granted, it gets more attention now than it did, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, but um, still there's, there's probably not an understanding or appreciation for just how much goes into that. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Because, you know, when you do 
embark on a rebuild, it's, it's a big endeavor. There's a lot that, you know, people focus on the wins and the losses and who's suiting up on, on, uh, you know, at seven o'clock, but there's a lot more going into those efforts. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's, um, it, it may be true for really any stage of an organization, whether it's a rebuild, um, any sort of organizational development, um, you know, requires that real investment in, in what is going on off the field. And I agree that that is an enjoyable part of the job. Um, and if you're in a leadership position, uh, it's, it's a, a great means through which to, to shape the organization, to put your stamp on the organization. Um, and it involves culture setting, it involves hiring, um, it involves moving um, different pieces around, um, trying to um, create an environment um, where the right types of processes are implemented. And, and if you're a GM or a president, recognizing that um, you're not going to be the one who's either going to design or implement all the processes. Uh, so you better hire the right people and, and create the right environment um, uh, so that they can allow these, um, the right systems to emerge. Um, and, and I agree that that is, um, I think, one of the more underrated fun aspects of working in sports um, and uh, the team-oriented aspect uh, that's created within a front office, not just among the players, uh, can often be forged during those early stages, whether it's a rebuild or whether there's a regime change within an organization. Um, that those early stages where everyone is, is really rowing hard in the same direction um, can be a lot of fun and, and I think can be really important and beneficial uh, for the sustained growth of the organization. Yeah, I know there are other industries that probably uh, fall into the same category, um, you know, but the, I remember having a conversation with an agent and he was kind of venting to me about some of the folks he was, he was working with uh, directly and indirectly. And he was kind of lamenting that, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but sort of the, the caliber of people, so to speak, of, of uh, sort of on his side of the, of the ledger, um, he just didn't sort of like where it was going. And he's like, you know, from his perspective, where you guys are meeting on the club side, it was a more or less, you're going to have people that are signing up for that because they want to be part of a team. They, uh, they enjoy the competition piece of it. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves and they just want to win. And on, you know, on the agent side, there's, you know, probably more financial incentives and it's a little bit more, um, individual and less of a team environment. And so, um, since I've gotten away from the game, I've, probably grown to appreciate that a little bit more, just how much, um, someone asked me that recently and, and how much of a, uh, I, I suppose a team environment and sort of the way somebody's wired, I had always been around that, you know, I grew up as an athlete and then got into professional sports. So that was just sort of my world. And then you get out of that a little bit and you realize that not everybody's wired that way. And, um, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to create those environments and it's, um, particularly hard when you come in you know, like you did in Milwaukee, right? You left, um, Houston had a reputation and a culture and an identity, right? And then you went into Milwaukee and you, um, had to sort of build your own, right? And to your point, it's not a one man show, but you have to sort of set the tone of what, uh, what you wanted to do with, with the brewers. What was your, what was your thought process? What was your approach early on, on, on how, what you wanted to accomplish from a, from a cultural and a, and a leadership perspective? Uh, Milwaukee was a, a really interesting situation um, when I came aboard. They had had uh, an incredibly stable front office for a long time. Doug Melvin had 
run the baseball operations group either as a GM or a president um, for 12 years uh, when when I came aboard, which is an incredibly long time um, yeah. executive in our sport. Um, and the Brewers have had a lot of success during that that period. Um, they uh, uh, finished over 500 for the first time in two decades. I think we, we forget that um, through, uh, you know, 90s into the 2000s, um, you know, the Brewers were, were perennially bad baseball teams. Um, so first they got above 500, then they made the playoffs, and they made the playoffs again, um, went to game six of the NLCS, uh, obviously drafted incredibly well, uh, and, and were able to create some real, really elite homegrown position player talent. Uh, and so I encountered a group that was very rightfully proud of, of what they had built. Um, and what they accomplished, and they deserve to be proud um, uh, for what they had done together. And it was a very stable group. Many members of the front office had had been there throughout Doug's tenure. Um, and so, you know, what, what I tried to do first and foremost was was listen. Um, uh, they needed to know that, um, you know, I was there to hear them and learn about what was going really well at the Brewers, and then hopefully. Um, turn the dial a little bit in a direction that I thought would um, would be beneficial for for the organization. Um, and so, pretty quickly on in in my time, um, uh, there were some existing members of the organization who I thought emerged as as leaders, um, and we were able to put them in leadership positions. And then, and then certainly, we brought in some voices um, from outside the organization as well to um, help complement me. Um, and help bring in some skill sets that, that at the time I thought um, might be lacking um, compared for, for where we wanted to go. Um, but, but what I hoped to uh, instill in, the, in those first couple of months um, was really an understanding that um, you know, I, I recognized the, the, the good uh, that had happened in Milwaukee prior to showing up. Um, and we wanted to continue what was going well and then, and then allow for some honest conversation and course correction, um, where, where things weren't going well. Uh, and I think hopefully through that approach, um, uh, we were able to build trust. Um, we were able to, to have honest conversations. Um, uh, we were able to establish some vulnerability within our front office. Um, and I, and I think those are some traits, uh, that served us well throughout my, my time leading the group. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about vulnerability because I think that's a it's a little bit of a superpower if you can if you can harness it the right way uh, as a group. And um, I think we're in a we're in a place where uh, I think maybe we've probably evolved past this, but for a while it was you were one of two camps when you came in as a GM. It was the new school or the old school, right? And so you were uh, Harvard educated, never played the game. Everything that's wrong with baseball to some people when you when you you know, you took that seat and, um, other, other guys that sat in that chair were former players who, um, you know, were just had a very much on the field mentality to the game. And, and it got to the point, it felt like to me, it got to the point where you almost had, um, two different factions rooting for and against different people. And I never, never totally understood that. Um, because, uh, you know, I remember you and I talking about it early in your tenure in Milwaukee that I appreciated sort of the, uh, the humility that you had to, yes, you're coming into it and with a certain skill set and background and 
looking at it through a certain lens, but also acknowledging that just because I don't have these tools in my tool belt doesn't mean they're not important to have and, and sort of deputizing other people to go do that for you. Um, that I think is a sign of really good leadership for one. Um, but also I think it's, it's you admitting your own vulnerability and, and setting that tone where it's okay to say, I don't know this, I'm not good at this, but, uh, I need help. So can you guys sort of fill me in or pick me up on that? So that, I, and I've told you that before, that always impressed me with you because it was, it was very early in your time and we had mutual ties, um, that were with you in Milwaukee and you, we were talking about some of those and, um, that, that just jumped out at me. And I said, I think David's sort of on the right path with this. And obviously your, your, your sort of resume speaks for yourself or your time there. I appreciate that. And I, like, I think, you know, under understanding all of our limitations is probably pretty important. Um, if, if you're gonna, um, have success and surround yourself with the right people, um, none of us, and I would say, regardless of how long you've been in the game or any industry, um, none of us can come away with, with all the answers, um, nor, nor frankly, should we try. Um, so, yeah, I think I was, um, yeah, I, I, I was fortunate coming in, um, that from a front office pers perspective, um, yes, I, I thought there was likely some change and turnover that was needed. Um, but I didn't think an, an entire refresh um, was needed. There, there were, there were people, um, in the front office, um, who were, who were doing really good work. Um, uh, and I think giving those people some freedom to continue to do their work, uh, helped. And then uh, the people we brought in, um, and the people who assumed some leadership roles within the organization, uh, coming in with, with a sense of humility themselves. And, and demonstrating some vulnerability themselves and that they weren't coming in uh, to, to rework everything, to redraw anything and that you know, anything that we did change um, was going to happen for a reason. We were going to explain it. We were going to seek feedback. Um, and, and then ultimately once we, we made a decision, we expected everyone to get on board, um, but it, it wasn't going to be a tyrannical process. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one thing that I, um, Pat Gillick is a guy that I always admired as an executive because he obviously had a ton of success and did it across multiple organizations, but he also had a reputation for doing it um, in an inclusive sort of open-minded manner where I think the easiest thing in the world for all of us, it's human nature, um, is to bring in quote unquote your guys and um, just kind of clean house. And um, I never agreed with it or understood it. Uh, I eventually saw some things that at least justified it in my eyes where we, we probably, uh, I was undervaluing the importance of trust and familiarity and knowing sort of that somebody's got your back at all times and, and what they're all about. Um, but Pat always, he would take over an organization and he would work with what he had more or less, you know, he would certainly supplement that with certain people and people he had history with, but it wasn't a scorched earth, get rid of everybody. Um, that always impressed me because that's, it's a lot harder to do that. You don't know these folks, you don't know their background. You don't know the necessarily all their strengths and weaknesses, but you, it can at least acknowledge that, you know, to your point, like, Hey, the brewers were pretty good for a little while here. Uh, they had to be doing something right. Why am I just going to sort of toss out the baby with the, with the bathwater just because, you know, for no other purpose than my own ego, probably. Even that if, if you, if you go into an operation, um, with a little bit of a scorched earth mentality. Uh, you're probably going to make your job tougher. Um, 
these, these are very robust organizations at this point. Uh, brewers have 200 plus people um, in baseball operations, not including players. Um, that's a lot of people. Uh, there are definitely some people in there, uh, regardless of who they were working for previously, who are, who are good at their jobs. Um, and, uh, and if you don't figure that out, if you don't determine um, who those people are, who, who's going to mesh with you, um, you're frankly just making your life tougher because you're going to have to hire even more people. You're going to have more turnover. Um, you may have a little bit more distrust uh, or mistrust at, at the beginning of, of a tenure. Um, so I, look, I, I certainly made my share of mistakes at the front end um, and, uh, and, and, and made some, some rookie errors. Uh, but, but I'm also, I do think from a, a morale and cultural perspective, uh, you know, we were able to keep things on the right track um, at a time where, where a lot of people were nervous. Um, and so I do think that is something that, that helped us uh, at the front end when I took over in the fall of 2015. Is there anything that you would do differently early in that tenure with the benefit of hindsight? Um, there, there, there certainly are. Um, some of them I'll, I'll keep to myself. Um, but but uh, in sure. broad strokes, um, you're making um, – personnel decisions very rapidly, right? I mean, you're, you're sitting down with someone, maybe you're meeting them for the first time, maybe um, you are, uh, maybe you've had some incidental contact throughout your respective careers, but you're sitting down with them maybe for an hour over lunch and trying to determine um, based on a conversation, based on references, based on uh, your perception of how they've done their jobs, where they can fit in your organization um, if they're going to fit moving forward. Uh, and, you know, I, I took the job at the end of the 2015 season. Um, and I, I sort of felt like by the GM meetings, um, which were, which was in the beginning of November, um, I wanted to have my group. Um, I knew we were embarking upon a really, a really important a short on ramp. Yeah. I, we, we were embarking upon a, a really, um, important off season. There was going to be a lot of roster turnover. I knew that. Uh, and so I had a month, five weeks to, to sort of get the core front office group in place. Um, and, and look, looking back, um, yeah, there, there, there are some personnel decisions, um, that I think I, I could have handled better. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I think that's, that's the benefit of, of hindsight a little bit. Um, and, uh, and, and then seeing how things go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that I don't think enough people probably appreciate just the the sheer velocity of which decisions need to be made, particularly for somebody that was in the position you were in, because, you know, look, we all in baseball get hired to get fired eventually. Um, but it's a matter of, you know, hey, here's here's my chance. And it's not about necessarily even putting your your stamp on it or, or your fingerprints. It's just about getting getting my group together so we can go do our jobs. And, you know, that's. I don't know. That's I, I. I. I don't know if there are other situations that mirror that. But yeah, hey, I've got five weeks to essentially put my my leadership team together. Um, I mean, it's hard. You could you could do rounds of interviews with people that you do have history with and still get it wrong. You know, it's just because it's it's just different. You don't know what you have until you're living with somebody every day. So, I mean, no one can do that perfectly. So, um, I think anybody. It's just I can always appreciate um, you know people who you know, they, they earn the right, right. Cause it's guys that have 
had a lengthy track record of success and have a fair bit of sort of leverage in whether it's negotiations or sort of picking their next opportunity, but the, whether it's a coach or an executive who's like, I don't, you know, look, I'll sacrifice the money or I'll sacrifice whatever else, <clears throat> pardon me, might be involved. I want the length in the contract because I want to have a little bit of, you know, slack to, you know, not have to just hit the ground absolutely running in it because you're everybody's gonna make a mistake when you have pressure to like, okay, first game is in three months, gotta go, right? Like it's, it's a lot. Um, and, you know, you touched on like the 200 some odd folks in baseball ops, not, you know, not wearing a, a uniform on, on national TV. And that's, that's another one. Like, there's no way you're going to know those folks until even probably not after a full season, you gotta, you know, you're going to minor league affiliates, you're going to spring training, your time with the player development scouting staff is, is limited. So you're, you know, to your point, you're sort of deputizing people to make sure that you can get their assessment and their opinions and fit all these puzzle pieces together. That's a, that's a big, that's a big endeavor. It is. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that struck me early on in, in my tenure in the job is just how big of an operation it is and, and um, how spread out it is. Uh, and this is, you know, this is a, a pre COVID world where maybe we're a little bit less comfortable um, with setups like this, with zooms, with virtual meetings. Um, but it always struck me, um, whether it was going down to Latin America, whether it was going to an affiliate in Montana, you, you see how hard everyone is working and really what they're all doing is, is working towards trying to get you one extra win, um, in Milwaukee, uh, at some point, like all, all the scouts throughout Latin America, throughout Asia, um, who are working tirelessly um, to try to find you know, the next 16, 17 year old gem um, who's going to turn into Ronald Acuna. Um, yeah, they're doing it. Um, yes, they love the sport. Um, uh, many of them are very passionate about their job. They're passionate about helping these kids, uh, but they're, they're fundamentally doing it to help the Brewers win major league games. Um, and the distance between what we are doing in Milwaukee every day and what a scout um, in Venezuela um, is doing every day is enormous. Um, and, and I think one of the main leadership challenges of, of baseball um, and baseball executives is, is trying to shrink that distance a little bit and, and doing what we can um, to, to make people who are not centered in Milwaukee or wherever the big league team is, um, feel a part of, of the operation, feel a part of the major league team, because ultimately that's, that's what everyone's working for. And, um, and, and that's what everyone's watching at 7 PM. So, uh, you know, that, that struck me. I think it, it strikes a lot of people when you, when you get into one of these leadership positions is, is just truly how vast the organization is, how invested everyone is. Um, and then, and then the distance, um, uh, that, that separates many of us on a daily basis, uh, and the challenge of, of closing that distance when you can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've told the story of how I started, uh, my, my scouting career was with Cleveland, which I know you spent some time with as well. And, and, um, would run around, I was, I was scouting the Southeast at the time and, and the twins, you couldn't, you couldn't hire a scout away from the twins and you could offer them a little bit more money. And they're obviously, they weren't a big market club. They were, you know, a good, not great major league team. So 
Um, but it was what Terry Ryan and that group had sort of established there, the culture that, you know, these folks felt valued. They were part of something. And to your point about, you know, sort of getting that buy-in and making them feel part of it, it you know, you get up in the morning, if you're scouting Georgia, uh, you're an Amherst scout in Georgia, your life's going to be the same, whether you're putting on a Brewers polo shirt or a Rangers polo shirt or a Twins polo shirt, right? It's just a matter of who you're working with. And yeah, it's an immense challenge to do that. Um, you know, across a whole operation. And my, some of my favorite times in baseball was always, was, were in Latin America when you would go and you'd spend the mornings and it was smoking hot and you're sipping piping hot coffee on the field. And, and, uh, you know, then you go, you go down, um, you got dinner with the, with the group and, and you put the game on after. And man, if a Latin American player that these guys had ties to 10 or 15 years ago, in some cases did something, these guys would just go bananas and they would, I mean, it would, the joy that they would have and the pride that they would have was, was incredible. It was so much fun to be around. I always appreciated that because the challenges of that job are immense and it is almost like being dropped on a foreign planet when you're used to working in an office every day. And then you just see what these guys are up against trying to assess a kid who's 13, 14, 15, 16 years old to try to get a sort of a trajectory on what he might be when he's 27. Um, that was always fun. And that's just having that, again, another thing I don't think folks appreciate is just how disparate the group is and, and having that connective tissue across departments and, um, you know, and even just sort of affiliates, right? Like it's, you got one in Montana, you got one in Florida. It's like, okay, you know, we'll see you guys for six weeks in spring training and then we'll see you again next year or we're seeing instructs. Yep. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it is a challenge to try to figure out what the right touch points are um, and making those touch points meaningful um, and and not just um, eyewash. You know, I, I think um, people see through eyewash really quickly, um, and I think it does a, a lot more harm than good um, when something is done for show. So uh, when you're when you're having those connective moments, when you're um, trying to create those touch points. Um, they need to be meaningful. They need to be genuine. Uh, and, and people need to, um, people need to see that. I think, I think humans, um, regardless of what we do, we're, we're pretty good at sensing authenticity. Um, and, um, and if, if you're coming across as inauthentic, um, people pick up on that pretty quickly, at least in my experience. Uh, and they tune you out and they should tune you out. Uh, so, <laughs> right, uh, right. so, um, you know, authenticity is a big deal. And, and as we work to try to connect all these groups and all around the world, um, that's something we try to keep in mind is how are we going to make these moments authentic, um, rather than just doing it because we feel like we should be doing it. Yeah. I've always been, uh, I've always been envious of, I got some friends that work in, in the NFL and sort of the. Uh, envious of the, I'll call it an advantage. I know they have different challenges, but the ability to sort of draft and acquire players for a system, right? And there's a handful of teams that probably do that better than anybody. They go find the linebacker that fits this certain profile that goes and just outperforms anything he's done to that point in his career. And I remember, uh, you know, the Super Bowl several years back, I'm an admitted Patriot Homer, but it was the Seattle, New England uh, Super Bowl. And you know, if Pete Carroll tries to come down on you like Bill Belichick, it ain't going to work, you know? And and if Bill Belichick tries to, you know, bop around there like like Pete Carroll and, and be the West Coast dude, it, you know, players see through that in a heartbeat. And you're right. I, I totally agree. I think it's like the worst possible thing you can do. 
you're better off just sitting there on your hands and keeping your mouth shut for like months at a time <laughs> than trying to be something you're not. Yeah. I, I, yeah. If you talk to people, whether it's in, in baseball, um, uh, or other industries, uh, the, the concept of leadership styles, uh, you know, what, what's, what's an effective leadership style. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what type of leadership style do you think works? And, and my response is, I think there are probably traits and characteristics, certain traits, probably a finite number of traits and characteristics that, that most successful or, um, or good leaders tend to have. Um, uh, but in terms of if an individual style, it has to be so personalized. Um, if, if you're trying to be, um, a leader that you read about in a book, um, or saw on a Ted talk and it doesn't fit your personality, um, it, it, it's not going to work. And I, I, I've, I've seen stuff like that go way off the rails, um, where, where a person gets put into a, a management position or leadership position and you know, it's well-intentioned. Um, and the person has done, uh, the homework, um, and, and they're trying to, um, be someone that, that just doesn't fit their personality and, and it becomes evident. So, um, you know, I do think leadership, um, is, is a really personalized, um, subject. Um, and, and there's, there's really no one straight formula, um, that, that, is universal for everyone. Yeah. I think that's a big part of, of the role that you've been in is, um, acknowledging or, or being able to sort of recognize who is a leader and who isn't. And, and I think we've put leadership up in this pedestal sometimes, and I'm a huge advocate of it and, and student of it, but some people just aren't equipped to be in a traditional leadership position as far as managing people and, and maybe running a department or, or what have you, maybe they're, they're better suited to manage a process or to own sort of a, a piece of the business in another way. And, uh, I think if you put someone in the wrong seat on the bus, then you're, you're just asking for failure. And to your point, like they, they're trying, like they, they, if it's not innate in them, if they're not comfortable doing it, uh, of course it's going to come off as inauthentic because it's just not who they are, but they're, you know, they're reading or they're watching, or they're just mimicking what they see. And that's going to come off as inauthentic. And, um, that's such a big part of, you know, again, tying it back into sort of the disparate nature of, of like a baseball operations department, 200 folks scattered all over the, not just the country, all over the world, um, making sure you have the right people leading those individual groups and those individual teams is so critical because they have to do it their own way. And, you know, the way you're leading the group in the Dominican Republic has to be different than the way you're talking to, you know, your, your, your board in Milwaukee. I mean, it's just a different, it's a different environment. And so you have to be able to adapt to that. Yeah. And I think learning your own leadership style, learning your own leadership voice takes a little bit of time. I'm a different leader today um, than I was when I took the job than I was when I became assistant general manager with the Astros, right? It, it, it um, uh, you learn yourself, um, you know, hopefully you learn sort of what, what you do well, um, and then what you don't do well and, and can improve upon, uh, those aspects. Um, but, but it, it takes time. And so you, know, you talked about putting people in charge of, of, of managing others or in charge of departments. Um, oftentimes we're, we're doing that, uh, uh, with, 
with individuals who, who maybe haven't been in leadership positions before. And it's going to take some time and, and some patience there um, to allow them to, to, to find the voice, um, to find who they are um, is important. Um, but you're right. So, sometimes it's not going to work. Um, and, and, then, uh, and then probably some, uh, you know, some guidance um, is needed or, or some correction is needed. Well, it also takes coaching, right? And, and, and development. I mean, there's, there's people that are, you know, just really, really high level uh, executors of a certain skill that they've built up over a career and they've never had to lead. And now all of a sudden you thrust them from doer to leader and you can't just expect it's going to like organically materialize. And that's, that's hard too. I mean, you, you know, sitting, sitting in the GM chair, you've got a million things flying at you every day. Uh, it's, you don't really necessarily have time to, to really develop your, your staff actively every single day. But, uh, you know, the flip side of that is if you don't do it or don't have someone else working on it for you, I mean, you're, it's, it's eventually going to come toppling down on you. I think you're right. And, and I think you're right. When, when you're running an organization, um, I think regardless of what the organization is, you yourself likely aren't going to have time, um, to actively focus on the career development um, of the vast majority of the people who, who are under you. Um, with that said, I, I think it is incumbent upon the leader of an organization, any organization, to make it very clear to everyone else around them that staff development um, is really important and coaching is really important. Um, and uh, coaching is not imposing your will on someone else. Um, co coaching, uh, you know, co effective coaches, whether um, it's a pitching coach or it's one manager trying to help another manager, um, effective coaches, there's a whole lot of give and take um, and there's back and forth and there's discussion and there's a true desire to understand where the other person is coming from um, and, uh, and helping that person reach the best versions of themselves. And so while the CEO of a company or the president of a company or the GM of a baseball team probably doesn't have a whole lot of bandwidth to actively do that for in broad swaths of the company. Uh, I do think it's really important that that person makes it known that that's the expectation. And ultimately that's how organizations grow and get better and succeed long-term um, is if there is that individual employee development if there is a culture um, and a comfort of, of pushing each other and helping each other uh, to achieve the, the, the common goal. And I think in sports, one benefit we have is the common goal is so clearly articulated, right? We're, we're, trying, we're trying to win games. Um, you know, that, that's the, the common goal. Ultimately, in baseball, we're trying to win a World Series. Um, and, and so that is um, that, that makes grabbing onto something unified I think much easier um, in in our line of work, in my line of work, than um, than perhaps in some other industries. Did you have that uh, perspective or prioritization when you when you took the job in Milwaukee, or did that have to evolve for you? I think I had an appreciation for it because of where I had gone through in my career. I was incredibly fortunate that I felt like at almost every stop I made. Um, there were people there who were actively coaching me um, and, and who were really good managers um, and, and helped me learn a ton. Um, 
And I recognize not everyone is as fortunate to have those encounters early in their careers. Um, I thought I was and, and, and was able to work for people um, who genuinely cared about me, um, uh, didn't sugarcoat things, were direct with me, um, but did so in, in, a, in a truly caring fashion. Um, and it helped me grow and get better. And it gave me a tremendous appreciation for what good management and good coaching looks like. And so um, I do think I, I came into this job with an appreciation for how important that was. Um, uh, and, and that's probably only grown um, over, over my time with the Brewers. Was that a, a focal point for you when you took over? Um, I, I viewed, I look back on my experience and your point about the, the, great thing about sports is it's so linear and it's so tangible, right? We, we either win or we lose every night. And that's, that's how we did on that particular day. Right. But I always enjoyed the, you know, I was the number two guy. I never had to answer to it ultimately because I wasn't the GM. So I enjoyed sort of the, uh, the, uh, secret society mentality of like, I know everybody wants us to do X, but we have to be disciplined and do Y instead. It's for the best interest of the organization and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's hard. That, that can be, I mean, it, it wasn't my butt on the line ultimately, um, you know, cause I wasn't the GM. And so there's that balance of like, okay, like, yes, development's important. Culture is important. Um, setting this tone is, is critical to our long-term success, but so is winning in the short term. Cause if we don't win in the short term, or at least um, maybe not win wins and losses, but win in the sense of showing progress and being able to sort of uh, show proof of concept with what we're doing, there won't be a long-term. Yeah, we don't operate in vacuums, right? We're, we're not um, in some theoretical uh, land um, where we can continuously run experiments and see what happens. Um, we, we, have, we have very tangible results, as you just said. We have um, stakeholders who are very, very invested. Uh, we have owners who are putting uh, lots of their money and trust on the table. We have fans who are extremely passionate um, about the team and, and rightfully don't like when the team loses, um, regardless of what the long-term plan uh, might be. Um, so, uh, yes, all of those need to be factored in. Um, and, and I think the, the specific situation a leader finds, uh, him or herself in, um, kind of dictates how you weight, uh, different, different variables. Um, no, no two situations are the same. Um, uh, I think a lot of these decisions, a lot of these strategic decisions, the types of which you're, you're touching upon. Um, are very context specific, um, very dependent upon where the organization has been, um, you know, where you want to go, the time frame uh, that you have to get it there, um, uh, what the what what in sports, what the ownership group is seeking, um, and so the, these these are complex decisions. Uh, we don't operate in a vacuum. There there are external pressures and there are external factors, and I think acknowledging those. Um, to your organization is, is the right thing to do. Um, and then you do your best to, uh, to, to make decisions um, that, that make the most sense um, within your specific context. Curious when you, when you came into Milwaukee, um, I think some, some clubs do a, I think it's a small group, but some, some clubs do a really good job of having that connectivity between the front office and in the field and it's a different dynamic and it's delicate and you have to um you know sort of do that dance appropriately or it's just again going to come off as inauthentic and, and probably overstepping but 
Um, there are teams that are super progressive and try very avant-garde things and uh, the players buy in and they're, they're excited about it. And they kind of, it's kind of a us against the world uh, mentality, which I think can lead to really special things. There are others that um, maybe it, it's a little bit more of an edict and a little bit more of a, Hey, you know, just trust us. We know better. And the players are just sort of there and they're just sort of expected to sort of do what they're told for, you know, for lack of a better word. And so uh, I'm curious about your, your approach to that coming into Milwaukee on blending the more um, data-driven objective philosophies or strategies with that culture and chemistry dynamic. Yeah, I think, I think it starts with the relationship that the front office has with the field staff, with the manager, with the coaches. Um, that has to be um, a relationship of mutual trust, um, a relationship of mutual understanding. Um, that doesn't mean there's always agreement. In fact, I think that relationship is better when there's not always agreement. Um, but but there, um, or at least it's, it, that relationship is more productive when there is not always agreement. Um, but th that relationship needs to be strong and there needs to be um, significant trust um, all around. And so um, that was a, a big focus of mine uh, when I when I got the job um, is building that relationship with a, with um, our field staff at the major league level. Um, my first offseason, we had a significant amount of turnover um, on the field staff. We were bringing in a lot of new people um, and, and ensuring that that group forged good relationships among themselves and also with um, key people in the front office who were going to be working with them on a day-to-day -day basis was um, was really important. And that fundamentally takes time um, and, and it takes being around and it takes being accessible. Uh, and so for that first year, first two years, um, you know, I was certainly around that group of people, our field staff um, and, and some of our our um, chief executives in, in the front office were also around the field staff um, a lot. And, and it was to have the opportunity to, to forge those relationships and have those discussions that really occur organically. Um, we, can, we can host meetings at the beginning of spring training, which we do. Um, we can host check-in meetings throughout the course of, of camp or the regular season, um, which, which we do. Um, but those can only do so much. Um, I think it's, it's the organic conversations um, that pop up that that can really push an organization forward that can lead to innovative thought. Um, and, and that takes presence uh, and it takes being around, it takes patience. Um, and so I, I, I think to get at what, what you alluded to, um, where everyone is on board, um, where there is a, a fundamental understanding of, of everyone rowing in the same direction, uh, at least within baseball, it starts with that relationship between front office and field staff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I always felt that, uh, the, the front office and even to a some extent, to a lesser extent, but still, um, some folks were guilty on the coaching staff, um, avoided the direct conversation. They avoided sort of the transparency and, I don't necessarily understand why I think you're underestimating players at that point. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys are grown men, they have families and, you know, telling them they're doing a great job when they know they're not doing a great job, isn't doing much for you doing, isn't doing much for your trust, you know? And so being able to do that and, you know, I was fortunate to, um, 
you know, I, 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 my time in Arizona, I worked under, uh, under Kevin Towers, who, um, talked about sort of authentic, uh, leadership styles. And he was, he was one of a kind, right. He was very unique in, in, in the ways that he did. And he was a former player and had that mentality to it. And that, you know, that just resonated with, with not just players, but it, it really resonated with everybody, but he was very comfortable in that environment. And so he was able to accomplish things that others wouldn't be because that was just his nature. Right. But there's, there's, um, there's like that invisible line in the sand where you can't, you know, you shouldn't cross, you know, when it's front office and players. And then there are sort of official hurdles set out in front of you when you get further down the career line with some guys where, you know, use the arbitration example, right? It's a thing that you and I both have a lot of uh, experience in on, on various sort of sides of, or, you know, sort of, or angles of the, of the process. And it's, you know, you, you look at it from the outside and it's like, okay, you're, you're building the team and you've got this trust built with this player who's an integral part of your success. And, um, you know, then you go into the off season and you are pitted against each other and you, you know, you're not going to tell him how bad he is, but you're going to tell him, you're going to point out all the shortcomings to sort of prove your case about, uh, about where he belongs in the salary structure. And the flip side is the player's representative is going to, you know, sort of talk about how he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And that's a, that's a really unique challenge. I feel like from a relationship and a leadership perspective to be able to come out of that, um, which some of them, even with the best of intentions, uh, can get contentious. It's just there's emotion involved and there's ego and there's pride. And these guys are high-performing, highly skilled people. Um, and you're essentially, I don't want to say attacking, but you're kind of attacking how good they are at it. And being able to come out of that and be like, you know, shake hands and say, okay, let's go get them in spring training. That's, that's a really unique challenge. Yeah, I mean, the arbitration system in baseball is just an awful system. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. There's, there is no one who likes this thing. Um, and I, I understand, you know, we're, we're dealing with literally decades at this point of precedent. Um, I understand how it got into the CBA. I completely understand why it's so different, why it's so difficult to um, get out of the CBA. Um, but th this is a terrible system uh, that, that no one likes. And, and you're right, on occasion, it, it, can, it can lead to some bitterness. Um, and that, that's not good for anyone. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, you, you do your best as an organization to forge relationships, um, and, and to, uh, create, create trust, uh, and, and then you work really hard, um, to that when things do get bumpy, whether it's, um, in an arbitration hearing, like you alluded to, or a personnel decision or a demotion or a lineup change or whatever it is, you, you work really hard, um, so that hopefully, the trust and, and um, bonds that you've built um, can, can allow you to, to get through some of those rocky periods. It doesn't always work. Um, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are some decisions are made that become really um, painful and hurtful for players that, that fundamentally change their lives um, and, and not in positive ways. Um, and, and you understand that. And um, you, know, you're, you, you do have to look at some of these decisions from very different perspectives than, than players are approaching them. Sure. All right. So now you're, you're out of the grind every day, right? It's got to offer a unique perspective to you. Uh, I've got two questions. Oh, and furthermore, you've got, you've got young kids, right? Which always uh, offer both refreshing um, perspective and uh, un unashamed humility when they just sort of 
speak to you with no filter whatsoever. Uh, so I imagine that you have some sort of takeaways from your time away from the day to day now that you maybe uh, view the game differently, but probably <laughs> I would imagine life in general, because it's just a very different experience being able to be more present, you know, candidly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think just the, the ability to, um, when you have time with your kids to, um, to be truly focused on them um, and, and to not let the small stuff, the minor inconveniences, the delays, the messes, um, all that, to not let that bother you. Um, and look, when, when you're, um, when you're running an organization and you're trying to get somewhere or you're, you're trying to get on a call or you feel like you have to call someone back, um, or there's a game that's about to start, um, it, it's really natural for some of those really minor inconveniences to bother you, um, and, and to stress you out. Um, and, and, uh, I think pretty quickly, um, you know, you learn to kind of enjoy some of those. Um, that's, uh, one of the, one of the fun things about parenting is, is rolling with the punches a little bit, um, when you, when you get a chance to, um, and, uh, and, and so I've, I've enjoyed that and, and, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, whatever my, my, my future professional, uh, uh, has lead wherever it leads, um, I'll be able to take some of that perspective. Um, oh, no doubt with me. Yeah, for sure. And your point about sweating the small stuff, right? It's, it's the, it's the stereotypical anecdotes about first kid versus second kid, right? And you're wiping yeah, the first kid down with, 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 uh, baby wipes and doing everything perfect in the second kid. You're like, all right, you'll, you'll be okay. <laughs> that, 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 that's exactly right. It's funny. Cause I was, my kids were still young when I, when I got out of baseball and, and, um, every now and then it'll come up or we'll see a game on TV and my wife will ask my daughter who's, who's seven now, Hey, do you remember X, Y, or Z doing this? And she's like, well, I remember, I remember the fruit. I remember sitting in the room with the fruit in the window when we were sitting in the GM box, she would come up every now and then and have like a little fruit bowl. And I remember the big cow because there was a giant Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, statue or whatever out in the outfield that she got to go up and see. And she was like, yeah, she's like two. Um, so it, it is, it's humbling. You, you made the point earlier where it, it's an entertainment business. And I've said that as well. It's, it doesn't feel like it. And don't get me wrong. I'm as competitive as the next guy I want to win. And I, and I love competition, but the end of the day, we're not curing cancer. You're, it is an entertainment business and it's, it's a very unique one and a competitive one. But again, that perspective that you talked about that kids do a great job of providing, but even just distance, um, yeah. you know, gives us a lot of it that inevitably is going to make us better as, as people just in general, I would think. I, I, I think that's right. And, uh, yeah, and we, we've been talking primarily about baseball because that's certainly what I'm familiar with. And, and you had a long career in the game as well, but I think a lot of what we've talked about, um, is true for, for any, um, highly demanding job, whether you're, um, working as a lawyer, whether, um, you know, you're, whether you're a teacher, um, you know, there, there are lots of jobs that are, um, that are demanding long hours, um, high concentration, um, regular availability. And I think in any of those positions, um, you can get lost in it a little bit. Um, and, and, uh, and, um, and so for me, it's been, it's been really nice to, to have a little bit of a pause, um, reorient and, and, uh, it's been fun. So what are you doing with all your time now? You're spending time with your kids, you know, you, are you, you got any good book recommendations? You're working out. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, everyone asks me that, 
Um, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't say that I have all this spare time on my hands. It, it is amazing. Yeah. It is amazing how you can fill, how you can fill time. And look, some of it's, um, you know, a lot of it is family, a lot of it's kids. Some of it's, um, uh, you know, sort of professional dabblings here or there, um, to keep my mind going and, um, and, and keep me learning a little bit. Um, I certainly have read more over the last three, four months. Um, then, uh, you got, you got any book recommendations for me? I, I've read, um, it's funny when you, when you go through, um, you know, careers like, um, like we've had, um, you get all these book recommendations thrown at you about leadership, about management. And, and I wanted to know what people were talking about. I didn't really have time to sit down and read, um, you know, a 400 page book. So inevitably I would skim them. Um, and so, uh, you know, now what I've, what I've frankly gone back and do is actually read them and not skim them. So I know more than just the talking points. Um, I've actually learned to, um, yeah, I've actually gotten the, the, the true principles. So you know, I've gone back and read all Daniel Coyle's books. I've gone back and, and read, um, some Adam Grant. Um, uh, I, I, I love kind of American history politics. So, um, not necessarily leadership, uh, leadership uh focus but i've gone back and read some of um, bob woodward's books um and and so I, i've uh i've i've i found my way through some books and, and that's been nice it's something that you don't have a, a a great um opportunity to do in depth you can, you can kind of get the general sense of something um but to truly dig into a book and and uh and read everything it's been it's been really nice yes yeah, the funny thing about books is they're way more effective when you actually read them amazing Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, David, I really appreciate the time, man. It's been fun catching up with you. Um, I'm excited for uh, you as a as a as a person, as a, as a father, and just being able to sort of take that time with your family. And I know it'll recenter you and uh, serve you well in whatever comes next. So I'll uh, I'm excited to follow that, and um, you know, appreciate you taking the time today. Appreciate it, Billy. It's fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the No One Is Watching podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified when a new episode drops. If you're interested in similar content, you can check us out at nooneiswatching.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. See you next time.